A reading from James 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated, and if you have not yet done so, I invite you to take out this insert. On the front says, James, wisdom for dissidents. <clears throat> a mentor of mine a long time ago in a church context said, you know, every, when there's a conflict in a church setting, it's really just good for somebody occasionally to run into the room and say, hey, Jesus is on the throne. It's going to be okay. Now you get, you get in, you granular in what's going on, you think it's the most important thing in the world. And it's just going to remember that Christ is on the throne. In some ways, that's what this text is pointing to today that Megan read for us. It's not evident right away, but it will get there if we pay attention to it. I, the town I grew up in, Bushnell, Illinois, there was a factory in the middle of town called ADM, Archer Daniels Midland. We affectionately called it the dog food factory. Uh, they made dog food. I'm sure they made lots of other things and the, the ADM officials were not thrilled to be called the dog food factory, but it kind of smelled like dog food apparently to visitors from town, from the, to the town. But if you lived in the town, you didn't smell a thing because it was so constant. You just, it's what you grew up with. But without fail, a visitor would come to town and say, what is that smell? Now, some people liked the smell, some people didn't like the smell, but everybody smelled it if you weren't from the town. But if you lived in Bushnell, if you grew up there, you never smelled it, unless like for a, for a time the wind would blow away from town and then it would stop and the smell would you know, percolate again. Like, oh, that smell. I kind of like the smell of the dog food factory. But it was a distinct smell, but because it was in the air all the time, if you were from my town, you were acclimated to it. You didn't know it. You didn't recognize it. You just got accustomed to it because it was always in the air. Today's passage is actually pretty straightforward. The words that are being said aren't that hard to understand. The meaning seems pretty obvious, but it draws our attention to something that's pretty subtle and not so obvious. Something that is in the air of the human condition, in the air of what it means to be a human. Something so common that we barely notice. It was common to the first century hearers. It's common to the 21st century it was common to their context where this, remember these churches were in, suffering distress and under some various forms of persecution, and it's common to us in the America in the 21st century where it looks a little bit different. What is that smell that is in the air that James is getting at here? It is our inclination to attempt to impose our will on the future without reference to the Lord. It is our inclination to attempt to impose our will on the future without reference to the Lord. It can permeate all kinds of planning, retirement planning. It can permeate career planning, school fam planning, family planning, even church budget planning. 
And it may not even be that formal. We don't have to call it a planning just to think about the future. Anytime you're thinking about the future and hoping for something, I guess you're planning. So we're all a little bit more organized than we thought we were. And this is a subtle thing. I get that. It's it's because it's getting at our attitude, which apparently the Lord really cares about. It can be our inclination to, as I said, make plans or declarations without reference to the will of God or the sovereignty of God. It can be uh, our inclination to just know that things are going to go well in the future. I just know it's going to go well. And that could lead to a sense of arrogance or overconfidence. Or it could be an inclination just know things in the future are going to go poorly. And that would display itself as a kind of despair or discouragement or maybe even anxiety. Uh, and this passage does not say this directly, but it's rooted in this reality. I put it in red at the top of your, in, of your, pass, of your insert here. And it's this. Jesus frees us from the compulsion to control the future. Jesus, in the gospel, frees us from the compulsion to control the future. And I don't want to bury the lead too much. The reason he frees us from that is because he's got it. He has the future. If he has you, things are going to be okay eventually. We've been calling this series as we've been walking through the book of James, Wisdom for Dissidents, and I stole that title from a book with the same subtitle by Jeff Myers. Dissidents uh, are those who are um, out of step with the spirit of the age, or whatever age it is, the, the powers that be. In fact, um, the, the, the summary of this, I say down in there, that uh, the gospel of Jesus creates loving dissidents those who dissent from the dominant way of being and instead live in step with the kingdom of God. This dissent may be subtle or it may be strong, but it is always a result of following Jesus in a culture committed to following many other things. Further, this type of wisdom pictures an alternate way of life for a world that desperately needs it. Wisdom for dissidents are, if you're in Christ, if you're in If you're a follower of Jesus, part of your calling, the privilege you have, and what this world needs is you to live following Jesus as a dissident, one who is self-consciously part of an alternate story that's unfolding alongside all the other stories in this world. You are self-consciously part of the story of the kingdom of God, and that is part of what this world needs to see. And so our missional calling in this world, in part, is simply to live following Jesus as he's unfolding this alternate story in this world. Uh, I've noticed in the new, I've got a pair of uh, Apple EarPods, the EarPod Pros, and there's a setting on those uh, EarPods called transparency mode, which means you can be listening to music, but you can also hear everything that's coming in from outside of you. It's good for driving. Uh, Maybe you're not supposed to do that. I don't know, but you can do it. You can hear everything, but you can also hear the music you're listening to. But when you have your earphones in, your EarPods in, on transparency mode, everything in the outside environment is being filtered through the music that you are listening to. People of God, we are called to live with the music of the gospel in our ears and filter everything in our world through them. We don't want to be cut off from the world. We don't want to be ignorant of what's going on, but we want everything in our world of which we're observing and participating and understanding to be filtered through this music of the gospel of Jesus. 
This, the, the music of the gospel and the sovereignty of God. And as we do that, it changes how we look at the future. And, and part of that music is that Jesus really does have this thing in hand. I, uh, the Miami Heat and Denver Nuggets are two NBA teams that are playing in the NBA finals right now. That it may mean nothing to most of you. That's fine. I mean, who in Indiana roots for the Heat or the Nuggets? I mean, there's a, I know you Denver people. I know. I know. People from Colorado do. Okay. So I don't really have a dog in this fight, but I'm sorry to say this. I kind of been rooting for the Heat uh, because they're the underdogs and because one of my daughters has become a real basketball fan this year and she's rooting for the heat and somehow she scored tickets to one of the finals games in Miami and I had it so this was this last week and I had watched the first game so Denver's much better and they're going to win but I'm rooting for the underdog and uh, the first game Denver won the second game Miami won but I didn't watch the third game I had it in my head that Sarah my daughter Sarah was going to the game and it was going to be on a, on Monday night so I turn on the game I, we have YouTube TV I turn it on on Monday night about the time the game it's a little bit after it started so I was watching this game and I text her I was like where, where are you in the stadium What's it feel like in the, in, the, in the stadium? How much energy is there? And she basically texted me back and said, what are you talking about? There's not a game tonight. Like, I'm watching this game right now. What are you talking? You're, you're, you told me you're going to the game. She goes, I'm going to the game on Friday. And then I looked on my YouTube TV, and right in the corner says, previously recorded. <laughs> so I was, I didn't, I was, and uh, that was game two, the one that I had missed, that Miami had won. And then, and then a couple of nights before. And uh, that's the way YouTube TV does it. If you save it, it just kind of cycles it up. So I was watching this pre-recorded game. I didn't even know. But here's what I knew. The outcome was certain. The outcome was sure. And the Heat were going to win no matter what it looked like in the first quarter. The Heat were going to win that game. So I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how I was going to get to the end. But I knew what that end was. That's how certain that game is, that was. Because previously recorded. Friends, if you're in Jesus... The future is going to be okay. I don't know how we're going to get there all the way, but I do know where it's going. So this text is running into the room saying, hey, 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 everything's going to be okay. This chapter might be pretty hard. We get that. Everything is going to be okay. Jesus frees us from the compulsion then to have to control the future. Maybe we could even say in a world that demands such control. This compulsion to control the future, we're going to see in this passage here, is it's natural. I don't mean it's good, but it's just natural, that it's common to everybody. It's impossible, it's evil, and it's totally unnecessary. Natural, impossible, evil, and totally unnecessary. Let's look at James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So though the meaning of these words are pretty clear. It's not quite certain who this is talking to. We're not quite sure who this is talking to. If you remember a couple weeks ago, Taylor began to to preach and, and teach us about wisdom from below. James is going after this contrast of heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. Wisdom from below is earthly wisdom. That is, it's anything, any way of being, thinking, or seeing the world. Wisdom not rooted in the confession that Jesus is the king. It's wisdom not rooted in the confession that Jesus is the king. It may parallel or even cross heavenly wisdom sometimes, may look the same, but it's not rooted in the confession that Jesus is the king. We call that earthly wisdom as opposed to heavenly wisdom, so man-centered wisdom versus God-centered wisdom. If you remember, 
back in February of this year, we were preaching through the book of Revelation, and we were in Revelation 13, where we saw the beast of the earth. The beast of the earth we see we saw was ideology or wisdoms that propped up the powers that be, that propped up the culture not rooted in the confession that Jesus is the Christ. That was earthly wisdom. So it's either the exact same thing or something very much like it here. Earthly wisdom is planning the future apart from the Lord. <clears throat> come now, is how it begins. Come now is actually a rebuke. The, uh, and so it seems like, well, he either is calling out non-believers who are part of the church who are listening. That seems unlikely to me. Or he's calling out the unbelief and inclination to this earthly wisdom in the people of God that are hearing it. That seems more likely because I certainly, that finds a home in me, planning the future apart from the Lord. I assume for you too. Uh, the inclination to plan here to make money, to go build a business, to have these plans, is actually a reflection of the image of God. It's not a bad thing to plan and want to build a business and make money. In fact, it reflects being made in God's image and the original command that God gives to those made in his image to, to cause things to flourish and to tend the garden and to take dominion over the earth and, and cause the goodness that's resident to be brought out and developed and culture to be developed. That's a good thing. It's natural in that way, but it's also natural in the way that sin comes in and twists that. So when we're saying it's natural, natural is not always good. Like, it, like you have a lot of natural feelings. Like if you just did them, every, you know, let's imagine if every five-year-old had in, uh, ability to do whatever they wanted with all power. There would be nobody left alive in the world, right? <laughs> it wouldn't even, let alone somebody who's older than five, right? We would just, we don't, we have these desires that we must say no to. They're all natural, but we have, you know, so this desire is reflects something natural. doesn't mean it's good. It's a declaration that I will do this. We've been created to develop things. We've created to build things and make plans in partnership with God. When the twisting of sin comes in, that capacity gets twisted away, and we attempt it without being in partnership with God. It is a natural impulse, but not good. This impulse is also impossible. For one simple and irrefutable reason in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I mean, we think we do. We got a plan. We have something on our day timer. But it may not work. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. This is what Jesus said to his followers. You have no idea what tomorrow holds whether it's terrible news or good news, or whether it's like insignificant news at first that ends up changing your life or changing the world. We don't know. Our life is like a mist. You know, a mist in the morning forms above a lake, but by noon it's gone because the sun comes in and burns off the mist. Mist, it seems to have a form. But if you try to lay, you could see it, you could, like if you're, it's on the lake, you could Take a canoe out there and paddle toward it and try to grab it and it just goes right through your hands because it seems to have form, but it's really not that solid. And it doesn't last very long. And so all the scripture's saying here is, friends, we are frail. We don't last that long. I mean, even if we live to be 100 years old in the grand scheme of things, itty bitty, right? We don't last that long. We have limited capacity to understand and to know. 
And probably this is a tip of the hat to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Old Testament wisdom literature that calls people like you and me mist or vapor in Hebrew over 30 times. This isn't meant to be discouraging. In fact, if we see Christ clearly, it's really freeing. We don't have to be strong. We don't have to endure because he endures. And now our endurance is connected to him. So it is this impulse is natural. It's impossible. And finally, to go slightly out of order here, verse 16, we're going to skip 15 for a second. As it is, okay, it's common, it's impossible, and as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil, evil. Boasting in your arrogance, saying, I know what's going to happen tomorrow, I'm going to plan it, and I'm going to execute it, or I know it's going to go really badly, I know, I know. James says, there's a word for that. It's arrogant boasting. It's taking the place of God, and it is evil. It's evil. I don't know if that sounds like a strong word to you. It should sound like a strong word to us. It's evil. It's a Greek word rooted in the concept of spoiled and diseased. Spoiled. This is a spoiled and diseased way of being to make plans or consider the future apart from the redemptive work of Jesus in our life. Uh, And you think about what something is spoiled, it it looks okay. I mean, you pull something out of the fridge, it's spoiled, it's in the the sealed container. It looks like you look through the the translucent container, like, oh, it looks edible. And you pull it off, like, it's not edible, right? So from a perspective, it looks fine, but something inside is very, very wrong. Like making plans looks fine, but making plans apart from the will and sovereignty of God, there is a problem. It is spoiled, though from a certain distance it may look okay. I think what's getting at here is that we cannot ignore God in our plans without at the same time taking his place. We cannot ignore God in our planning or thinking about the future without at the same time assuming his place. We can't bear that. I can't bear that. You can't bear that. And we don't have to. It's earthly wisdom. It begins and ends apart from the confession that Jesus is king. It's an attitude that runs through our world. You can, right now, you can download probably a million podcasts that will teach you how to plan your future apart from the Lord. Runs through our world. It's subtle because it has to do with our attitude. But it's like when I make plans for my future or hopes and dreams without thinking about how it affects other people, also called by the Bible, in the Bible, loving your neighbor. (laughs) When when I make plans without thinking about the impact on other people or loving my neighbor like Jesus said, I am functionally operating apart from him. And it is spoiled. It is diseased. It is evil. When I make plans, when we make plans that are actually, truthfully, in your heart of hearts, simply a cover and a strategy to pursue other idols, like security, comfort, acclaim, pleasure, all these things that are freely given to us in Jesus. This is a functional way 
to plan our future apart from the Lord, and it is spoiled. It's diseased. It's evil. When I am certain that the future will be bad, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be bad. This is going to be the worst possible scenario. I just know it. You don't know it. It's assuming an omnipotence, an omniscience we don't have. And it's cutting ourselves off from the one who is omniscient. And that omniscience we assume then we lead to despair and discouragement and all kinds of anxiety and God calls it evil because we don't know. It's spoiled. It's not the way it was created to be. It doesn't stop us from doing it all the time, but it's spoiled. And we know it's spoiled because it smells spoiled in our own life and we feel miserable. Fortunately, fortunately, God's people aren't saved by not boasting arrogantly. We're saved by Jesus. Right, so instead of trying to say, how do I not boast arrogantly, probably just commit to saying, where do I see it in my life? And just confess, because we're, we're secure in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're totally secure. You're, we're secure enough to see our arrogant boasting and where we're doing this and say, Lord, where is this? Help me to see this and turn from it. And when we do, we see this whole thing finally is unnecessary. It's unnecessary. It's wholly unnecessary because of the gospel. Look at verse 15. Instead, instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So we're not talking, first of all, we're not talking about a magic formula. Like I just have to say, all I have to do with my autonomous, independent, selfish planning, pursuing idols is say, if the Lord wills, and that makes it all better. That, okay, that's not what we're talking about. Sometimes you'll hear people pray, like they pray, Lord, if it's your will, if it's your will, if it's your will, if it's your will, if it's your will. Like, okay, the Lord knows, you think, if it's his will. That's fine, you don't have to say that a thousand times, right? Uh, if, if that's you, I'm sorry, just don't do that anymore. You don't have to. You don't have to do that anymore, right? Uh, if it's not the Lord will, he's gonna say, no. Anyway, so it's like, it doesn't matter. Uh, sorry, it's not a magic formula. That was not in my notes. I apologize if I just, if you feel, if you just prayed this morning with somebody, like I said that like four times, okay. Um, it's not a magic formula. If the Lord wills, we will go and make money in these cities. There is a teaching, by the way, in America called the prosperity gospel. I was talking to a young businessman just a couple weeks ago whose who's business team leader was saying, look, God's will is for you to be financially prosperous. That's called the prosperity gospel. And he asked me, is it God's will for his people to be financially prosperous? I said, yes, except when it's not. That seems pretty obvious. So if this single verse here, along with hundreds of others, should put an end to the prosperity gospel, but not sure they're concerned about what the scripture's saying, but just so you know, uh, when you hear God's will for you is to be uh, all happy all the time, wealthy and healthy, just go back to this verse, if the Lord wills, okay? And let's break that down a little bit. Why is this unnecessary? Let's just look at this. The Lord the Lord. We're talking, this is a phrase for the kingship of Christ. Jesus the king. The alpha and the omega. The one who is before the beginning and the one who is overall. The one who creates all things and holds all things together by the word of his power. 
in what C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle takes on flesh, becomes truly human, steps into this world, lives, and dies. He takes the the specific sins of his specific people on himself. He takes our spoilage, our disease on himself. And he takes it to the grave. And in the resurrection, he forever breaks the power of death for you, for me. For Roger Williams... The power of death is forever broken. If you're in Christ, you may say that with complete confidence about yourself because Christ broke the power of death when he rose from the dead. And that's not all. He spiritually unites us to him in the heavenlies and promises that all that he has will be ours forever And it's better than we actually have the capacity to imagine right now. In resurrected, unspoiled bodies, in a resurrected, unspoiled creation. This is who we're dealing with here. We can relax into the future a little bit. We don't have to hold it so tight. I put in your insert here a a formula. Okay, it's a, it's a psychological formula in mathematic form. So don't freak out if you've got math phobia. I'll explain this. The very bottom here, uh, this is actually, we covered this at our anxiety seminar a few months ago. Two uh, psychologists, Salkovskis, Paul Salkovskis and uh, Elizabeth Forrester, put future anxiety, this neat little equation here. Uh, it's... I'm sorry. I kind of geek out on this stuff, but so like I, this is, I wrote my dissertation on this, so I, I got to share it. I got to justify that expense. Um, it's in look in the future, the perceived probability of the danger of some event or no event at all or every single event. It's going to be so dangerous. It's terrible. It's everywhere times the perceived cost or awfulness of that. That's the numerator. Like that's the, the that's the number on top, right? So that's how bad everything is going to be. That's all divided by your ability and yourself to cope with that danger and uh, multiplied by whatever rescue factors you have in your environment. Now, there's these, this is just basic psychology thinking about the future. But think about how the gospel impacts that. Perceived probability of danger. Probability, that's an uncertainty. Probability with a God who's completely sovereign? Cool, okay. Shrinks it down. Perceived cost or awfulness, you mean permanently, in, to me, who will live forever in resurrected, resurrected, restored bodies? Well, that shrinks that down. Divided, so the numerator is already smaller. Divided with a perceived ability to cope with danger, which I have very little ability to cope with danger. Maybe a few, I could run a little bit faster than some of you, but not many, right? So like, I don't know. But here's what I know. The Holy Spirit of the living God indwells me and you, if you're in Christ, There's a lot of ability within us because of one outside of us who's come into us. There's a lot of ability within us because of the spirit to deal with the difficulties in our life, a ton. And we're not alone. Coping factors, we have a community. We have a community. Oh, and we have the God of the universe. So think about what the gospel does to this basic 
basic uh, equation of anxiety as we think about it. That's all wrapped up in that one little phrase there, Lord. Lord, King Jesus, who gave himself for you and me. As if the Lord wills, the Lord has a will, a purpose, a direction. Now, will is a flexible word. It can mean what God desires, like he desires for us not to be deceptive to each other, but he allows it for a time. Will also has to do with the direction he's taking things. It means outcome. We're talking here about the sovereignty of God. He is working out his will in this world. Right? He is powerful enough to do this. He is wise enough to bring all of us into this plan, working throughout the world to bring, as Romans 8 says, to cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Maybe not the comfort of all those right away who love him and called according to his purpose. He's working this world to glorify himself, to bring about justice, to move things so one day the whole earth will be covered by the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's where this whole thing is going throughout history and throughout all of the world. World, the problem is we see like nine square feet of that, like where I'm standing and like one foot all the way. That's what I see of this whole movement of God. That's what you see of this whole movement of God in this world. This movement of God is called his will. So sometimes you're like, I don't know why it's going this way. And the reason that is is because we see nine square feet of all what God is doing in the world, right? So we say, if he wills, like I, I want it to be going this way. I don't think we can really live into the fullness of the Christian life. Now, this is a big statement. I don't think we can live into the fullness of the Christian life unless we release the future to God's will. If we're holding on to, it's gotta be this and not this, it's gotta be this or God just doesn't love me, we are stuck. We're stuck because we don't know. We see nine square feet, maybe. Uh, maybe a more cheeky way to put this is uh, we can have whatever we want in this world as long as we want what God's will is. Another way to get happy, just change your wants to what God's will is. That changes everything. Okay. Um, I suppose there's a reason I'm not a counselor and I'm a preacher. Okay. <laughs> if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So, this is talking about planning again, but now it's planning with open hands. Planning with open hands is fine. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is full of planning. The apostle Paul planned to go to Spain. He never got there. But that plan drove him on at least to Rome from which he wrote the rest of the letters. I think this is all captured well in Philippians 4. I put this in your insert. It's a... Kind of a well-known verse, I suppose. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that's making requests, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Make, bo make bold requests to God with open hands. Lord, the future is yours. I know that. But Lord, here's what I want. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. 
I want to do your will, but I don't, it, you don't say not to ask for this in Scripture, so I'm asking, right? I'm, I think this is within your revealed will in Scripture. I don't know if it's in like your secret will or not, but I want this. Lord, this is my request. I know you can do this. Please do this. My hands are open. I want to go this way, please. Right? And then, we, so we, confess, we, we commit our plans to the Lord. We confess that we need him. And if these things come about, we thank him. And so I think we, we can be bold in our planning and requesting, but we be bold with open hands. I'm not holding the future, Lord. I'm not telling you what you must do in that, based on what you do. I'm conditioning my response to you. No, I'm responding to you. You're king. I love you. You're, you love me. Here's what I want. I want us to be free. free. It's, it's amazing the freedom God's people have in the scriptures. David, Moses, it's, it's put your hair on it in some of the ways that even Moses kind of like argues with God sometimes with open hands. Okay. And then it ends with this verse, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's actually connecting with the next passage, I think, but basically saying, now you know. Now you know. Yes, it's in the air. Yes, we almost never see. Yes, you're, you could go through this whole world for your whole life and never have anybody say to you, have you thought about the Lord in your planning? But now we know. Pray fervently, hold plans loosely, and give thanks freely when, we, when they come to fruition. It'll be okay, guys. Now, much of it will be in the next chapter. Well, much of it will be in this chapter. It'll all be in the next chapter, I suppose. One of the things I mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, one of my heroes in the faith, one person very influential, many of you, Tim Keller, went from this chapter to the next, died, went to be with the Lord. One of the last videos I saw of him, maybe one of the last ones he did, was it was just a short video. I think it was actually a TikTok. Uh, Responding to the question, what do you say to young people who are concerned about the future? It was great. He said, look, so this is a man facing, I mean, the last days of pancreatic cancer. He said, if Jesus raised, was raised from the dead, it's going to be okay. If Jesus was raised from the dead in a real body and promises a real body to you and Resurrection of a real earth, it, it's going to be okay. Doesn't mean we don't cry. He said, Kathy and I were weeping last night about the shortness of the time we have left, over the shortness of the time we have left. But Jesus was raised from the dead. We dried our tears. Doesn't mean we won't cry again, but it does mean everything will be okay. I was thinking about this passage yesterday morning as I was just I woke up early in the morning, I was laying in bed thinking, and it just struck me that it's so much in the air of what we breathe, and in my own air too. I just, I totally forgot how Jesus dealt with this. It never occurred to me to say, how did Jesus teach his followers about the future? And what he did was he reminded them of their father's heavenly care. And I, my, my default setting is I wake up like in the morning an orphan and an atheist, right? No, not really, but like it's I gotta remind myself of the gospel every day. It's like, you know, your my, my Chrome web browser always wants to update. You gotta close it all down and update it. Everything's new. Like when I sleep, I close down. When I wake up, I'm an orphan all over again. For God, I have a heavenly father. And it's like, wait, you know, the Lord does. He cares for me. And it's certainly, Luke 12, this is just a great passage. 
He tells his followers, he says to his disciples, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. He says, don't seek these things. You know, don't grasp them. For the nations, for the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need him, them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. I take that, seek his kingdom, say, Lord, if you will. And then this great passage in Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We don't have a heavenly father who is willing to give us anything. We have a heavenly father who delights. It's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom, to give us the future. And Jesus didn't just teach this. He did it. A few chapters later in Luke 22... After the Lord's Supper has been instituted, and we're going to go to the table in a second, he goes out across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, in his human frame, in the incarnation, in the state of what the theologians call humiliation, was limited in what he could see. He knew the Father, but he was limited in what he could see. He did not know all things that he does know now. He set those aside by taking on flesh. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. And the truth is, is God was doing a bigger redemptive plan. He said, here's my will. I don't see everything, though. I submit to yours. Um... By virtue of the fact that we can call God Father through union with Christ, it means he will give us what we are asking for or better. The timing may not be our request. He will give us everything we are asking for or better. And if we get that, we get a whole lot of freedom in our life. Now, we may be inclined to believe that. It's like, I want to believe that. That's kind of, can I have a little sign that that's the case? That God will give us everything we want or better? God, would you give me a little sign for that? And he says, I will not give you a little sign. I will give you the grandest sign I could ever give. I'll give you my son. Do you see him on the cross? Do you see him bleeding for you? Do you see him winning life for you? Do you see that everything of his is now yours? Do you see your union with him? Do you see that? You will have everything you want and more. Everything's going to be okay. I don't know what you have going on in your life right now. I do know that we're about to go to the communion table, and this is the preaching sign of Jesus to us, that he has us, he loves us, that he holds us, and he walks with us. And one day, everything will be okay. If you're in Christ, the table is open to you. I'm going to pray and invite you to go to the back, receive a piece of bread, cup of either red wine or white grape juice, come back to your seat, and we will take together. Jesus, I will confess my inclination to think about the future apart from you. Thank you that my inclination to think about the future apart from you does not lead to an inclination in you to think about the future apart from me or from any of us. We come to the table gladly now.
In Christ's name, amen.